the BFI Network podcast with me, Matimba Kabalika. Welcome back, or if this is your first time listening, enjoy. In every episode, we meet an interesting, insightful, and all-round good and from the UK film industry. I normally buy them a coffee and sometimes bring them cake in exchange for all their wisdom. This year's London Film Festival is happening from the 4th to the 15th of October. In this episode, we speak to Head of Festivals at the BFI and Festival Director of the London Film Festival, Claire Stewart. We talked about her journey to this point and her love of cinema. It's brilliant to have you, Claire. Thank you so much for joining us. It would be really good because basically the whole podcast is for emerging filmmakers. And I thought we'll come on to LFF, but to, to hear about you and where you started out, how did you even end up on this journey? I studied cinema theory and film production at RMIT University in Melbourne and basically I came out of that course kind of, you know, completely uh, steeped in this love of cinema. I grew up in a small country town without a cinema so it it really was a a case of, of kind of being overwhelmed by it when and discovering it when I was at university and my love of it when I was at university um and I came out of that course feeling very stuck about how do you match cinema theory and your understanding of cinema history to the you know hands-on day-to-day elements of um uh, film creativity and production so I decided that the only solution to that was that I needed to see more films and I started um, volunteering for the Melbourne Cinematheque which at that time was one of the only places in Melbourne that was uh, showing rep cinema uh, once a week and then uh, ended up sort of volunteering for the Australian Film Institute um, and uh, also created a magazine that I started publishing that was commissioning new writers to write about the films that we were showing at the Cinematheque. And through that, I was working in the AFI research department all the time and ended up getting a job, my my, my sort of first uh, paid job there. Uh, But at the same time, I was also volunteering on a public radio show uh, called Film Buffs Forecast, uh, which was the only sort of, you know, film-specific radio show on um, in at that, that time. So I then, you know, kind of found this particular niche that I'm quite passionate about, which is precisely that, connecting films and audiences. And did you, when you went into that, when you started the volunteering, did you start to think, right, this is, you feel like you started to have a nose of where you were going, or were you, were you kind of in it and feeling your way? Uh, I was very much feeling my way, but I was also creating my own opportunities, which is something that um, I've done in both unpaid and paid work, if you like. That's an incredibly important approach when you're starting out because you, you, you don't get things handed to you. You shouldn't expect to get things handed to you. Um, and you impress other people when you have that, uh, I guess, that drive to... To, to kind of identify gaps and solutions to things. And so can you talk about then from your first kind of paid, you're start, you know, you're starting to get paid, what's the gap between there and, and Sydney? Like how, how long was that and what, yeah. 
Well, I've been in the programming sector for 20 years, really. And so, you, you know, that, that the first um, sort of seven years of that was a combination of doing a number of those things simultaneously and volunteering on a number of those things, even when I got um, paid work at the Australian Film Institute. And then uh, I, I saw another opportunity, which was... Um, the Queen's Trust in Australia, as it was then, had um, a fund for uh, young people who had made some commitment to their community. And so I was successful at winning this Queen's Trust Award, which was really this breakthrough moment for me in, in, in my career, because that was a $10,000 award, which at that time was a huge amount of money. Um, doesn't sound like much now. I, I'd never left Australia. I designed a trip that took me to all these um, moving image centres and film festivals around the world. But the purpose of it was very specifically about the future. It was about we're in the mid 90s things are changing the way that film exhibition is going to happen uh in the future we're going to be looking at it on different screens we're going to be thinking about it differently and and sure enough like a few years later uh i got the first um you, you know cinema programmer and then head of cinema's role at um, the australian center for the moving image when it opened doors so it was about also i guess like not only being interested in my field for my own personal uh, development, but also hovering up and going, where is my field going? And what kind of role can I take to, um, you know, progress that and be at the center of that and, you know, and feed into what that might look like. Can you talk, and you've kind of started touching on it. Can you talk about the power of festivals for filmmakers? So I guess what, excites me about festivals is that they're right at the intersection not only about you know how you connect films with audiences but how you connect filmmakers with audiences as well and how you connect filmmakers with each other mm -hmm. and that to me is what is incredibly vital not only um, for emerging talent but actually for established talent as well um, it, it's an environment where you can see exactly what your contemporaries are doing you can make sure that you're up to date with new um, trends in cinema and um, you are one of the first people to be you know spotting new talent uh, but you can also network and be very connected to uh, other filmmakers. And if your film is in a festival, then it's obviously a really significant platform uh, in terms of taking that out to the world. It's a significant platform in terms of having your work recognised, whether that is by you know, commissioners, whether it's by sales companies, whether it's by distributors or media you know the festival is structured in a way to help you make those kind of connections so uh it's a very vital um sort of uh space i guess for both that um professional development but also the development of your appreciation of your form and i think you i mean i feel like you are brilliant at putting filmmakers at the heart of the festival I feel like you really care about the work of filmmakers so you'll go to these huge gala screenings and I feel that you're just as impassioned as if you go to you know a smaller screening I feel like you really you know for emerging filmmakers that's an exciting thing I guess coming to talk specifically about LFF and what you look for and what is at the heart of the festival for you what do you think LFF 
yeah, what defines LFF as a festival? Well, I think the festival has had a long and very substantial history in terms of being a festival uh, you know, a fantastic program that represents the best of uh, world cinema annually. And that was a great base to come into and to build from because it was already very well established and respected. And for me, uh, I think what uh, we have done in the last kind of five years um, now uh, is, uh, you you know, give a great deal of additional depth to that in terms of uh, both the uh, program for the the industry, um, the way that the program itself is, uh, the the public program itself is actually structured and connecting with audiences. Uh, But we're also constantly thinking about how are we best positioning the films in the festival for their future life whether that is, um, you know, going into another platform, whether it's um, getting a distribution deal, that while they're with us in the festival, we are custodians of. Mm-hmm. And, and also thinking about that as a continuum. So how the, the, the filmmaker who plays their short film with us this year may be the filmmaker who returns to the festival in three years' time with their first feature. Mm-hmm. So how are we making their experience as as positive as it can be uh, you know as a festival more broadly one of our big uh, focuses has also been on elevating the festival both in terms of its international profile and its um, uh, resonance with with audiences in the UK and so uh, you, you know we've developed a number of different strategies around both those core focuses if you like that's you know really played itself out seeing you know films that we've been big champions of like Moonlight and um, Manchester by the Sea two films that we had the um, the, the first screenings of outside of North America uh, go on to such success in the awards season as well as um, films that we're introducing to UK audiences for the first time like uh, La La Land and Arrival and um, and uh, well, four out of five of the foreign language Oscars uh, nominees, for example, um, including the winner, The Salesman. So, um, you, you, you know, playing the international card in terms of the, the role that we take in positioning films in the, the award season window, but balancing that with great integrity across the diversity of the program and also in the last two years introducing a very strong focus on having a talking point at the festival making it a place where it's not only about seeing films it's not only about doing um, business and networking but it's also about thought leadership and championing the uh the things that our industry needs to be thinking about right now. So uh, Strong Woman being the focus in the 2015 festival when we opened with Suffragette and had the Gina Davis um, symposium on the on the first day and then in the 2016 festival uh, opening with the United Kingdom and having the Black Star Symposium um, on the second day and uh, you, you know having um, a keynote address from David Oyelowo that is still like the best thing I heard last year um, you know and feeling like the world that we live in needs that right now yeah. as well not just um, not just our industry by the way <laughs> <laughs> no it's so true and, and I can totally attest that you know you've got a lot going on in terms of huge stuff up here strategically and you know you're elevating it and growing it so I guess for you 
how do you stay connected to that sense of discovery it's it's incredibly important i mean for me and for the whole programming team discovery is always one of the great energizing aspects of what you do so you never want to um, take that out of the equation which means you have to make time for it because it takes time and that does mean you know a lot of watching obviously in in the case of of um, festival selection but it also means um, a, additional layering once you've got your your, your program um, you, you know configured I mean for us to introduce the IWC bursary last year which is for a first or second time British writer or director with a film in the festival was a, a fantastic um, uh, new uh, initiative with a really handsome you know £50,000 bursary from IWC um, Hope Dixon Leach winning that um, in part for her work on the levelling last year from a programming perspective means that I'm I'm still committed to watching all of those um, first and second time British works in in the festival, regardless of um, uh, you know where the other big picture activity of the festival might take me. I still have that uh, commitment at the base of what I'm doing. Personally, even outside of the festival, um, you, you know, for example, um, doing jury work for the for the BAFTA Outstanding British Debut Jury, um, that also keeps me you know, deeply connected to what is coming out, especially in the UK, um, in terms of new talent. And that talent being defined much more broadly for me, as it always is, as producers, you know, writers, directors, as well as, um, as, well as actors. Uh, so... You know, you you, you you just have to make time for that discovery. But from a, from a programming standpoint, there is nothing more thrilling than putting on a screener that you know nothing about and, you know, you haven't heard of the filmmaker, you don't, you don't know anything about the background, and it just blows you away. I mean, those are the moments that you kind of hanker for and that keep you completely on your toes um, and in that sort of space. Can you remember your last feeling of watching something in well I mean a perfect example of that is Moonlight I mean we'd been sure I, I, I guess that did we, we were tracking it it was with a known um, kind of sales company but when that film came in and we saw it and you, you know the team and I sat in that screening room together and just went what have we just seen you know so that moment um, that, that, that crystallised crystallizing moment of like that is really you know that's discovery that's great magic but I mean you know he's someone who's quite savvy within the industry and had structure around him so the the you know there's other mechanisms I would say that we have in place from a programming standpoint you know we have over 2,000 entries that come in through our open submissions every year and all of those films are watched and uh, recommended for second viewings and you know actually a, a number of the key exciting moments are when those films make it through into the program and you uh, you, you know they're, they're, they're really out of left field in broad in broad strokes what ha- where do you see? the festival going um what's still to be conquered well 
you know, we've had two periods of significant change in the last five years in terms of um, the BFI London Film Festival. Uh, in my first year, we did a significant overhaul of the uh, program structure and reduced the festival to 12 days from 15 or 16 days. Um, you know, started taking opening and closing night out to cinemas across the UK with a live cinecast. These were all sort of um, big new undertakings that we've that we sort of spent the next three years or so betting in. A big challenge for the festival going forward is what's happening to cinemas in the UK because they're all renovating and getting smaller. Um, you, you know, lot, lots more auditoria, um, but actually um, less auditoria that have got a really big kind of festival feel capacity. Um, so last year was another big moment for us when we um, when we undertook to build a, a new temporary cinema. Um, uh, that had 800 seats at the Embankment Gardens and, you know, had terrific impact and showed that there's even more space for growth for the festival. We grew the audience by 18%. Uh, we're now reaching over 195,000 attendances in, um, in the context of both the London Festi Festival itself and the UK-wide screenings. And we also last year introduced a virtual um, festival screening for the first time. So worked um, with uh, Doug Wolf on um, uh, Lo and Behold, the Werner Herzog film, to actually not only take that out to cinemas across the UK, but to have a, a virtual premiere online that people could tap into. So my sort of feeling about the future of the festival is that on the one hand, we've got to tackle that uh, and continue to tackle that issue of how do we can how do we continue to grow the numbers of the festival grow the audience be accessible to more and more people in an environment that's actually quite challenging and how are we taking advantage of all of the new technologies that there are to expand again the access to the festival for potentially people who are unable to you know come to the cinema or who are actually further afield than than london not not that's not a small task <laughs> don't, don't like, do it <laughs> not sure. but um so exciting for filmmakers because when people always feel about oh putting stuff into festivals and it feels like a mindful it feels really so to know that the leadership of a festival as prestigious as lff just so connected and so care and so care about filmmakers is you know is really amazing so my final question which i ask to everyone who i interview is if you could give a challenge to emerging filmmakers if you could kind of throw down a gauntlet if you could have a cup of coffee with the whole load of them and give them a challenge what would it be okay i'm going to take it back to what we were talking about before about you know my belief that you have to have immersed yourself in research and in understanding the history of your form you know like no artist in who's successful in the sort of contemporary art world doesn't know exactly who's come before them and you know where they sit in the schema of the art world or maybe some do but you know um so i'm going to set a challenge i would set a challenge that kind of connects around that so for example you come to me with your script or your project and I would want you to be able to tell me a key film from each decade that has influenced a certain way that you have approached the thinking about the scenes in your film. 
that is that is the best challenge we've had. Marie, isn't that the best challenge we've had? Yes. <laughs> Which I love. She can't mess. You know, you can't mess about. We appreciate. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a big one. You know. So you're gonna get so many letters now from people who are like, dear Claire. <laughs> There's more episodes and lots of content like this on the BFI Network website, including funding, first features, and loads of other interviews. We'd also like to know what you think about this podcast, so why not tweet us at BFI Network? The music you've heard is from Rory Dempsey. Thanks to Claire, producer Marie, and the BFI Network team. rewind there's a lot <laughs> when the grout's so burnt sorry i'm sorry okay i like how we've just now gone into garage like what, what is going on bumper the bump bumper the reload <laughs> <laughs> it's because it's because of the headphones <laughs> enter selector i mean come on it is it's it's not me okay here's the situation Our daughter Mia is leaving for her first sleepover. We have friends coming to stay, and we just got a puppy. So I go on Instacart and solve everything in one order from Kohl's. Fun PJs for Mia. Oh, new bedding for the guest room. And a vacuum cleaner that actually picks up pet hair. All delivered in as fast as 30 minutes. With Kohl's on Instacart, there's no such we can't fix. Visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. $10 minimum order. Additional terms apply.